Hi, friends, and welcome back to With Great People. I'm Richard Kasparowski. With Great People is the podcast for high-performance teams. This episode is a conversation with Julie Bright. Julie is an Agile coach at Capital One. She introduces the concept of going slow to go fast. Julie and I chat about her experience with fostering an environment where it's safe to fail, where it's safe to learn and grow from your mistakes. If you enjoy this conversation with Julie, be sure to check out her LinkedIn profile, Julie-Bright. Julie will be appearing at the Agile Games Conference on April 9th through 11th, 2018, in the Boston area. To support this podcast, sign up for my newsletter at kasparaski.com. Hi, friends, and welcome back to With Great People. We have a special guest today. Her name is Julie Bright. Julie is an Agile coach at Capital One. Hi, Julie. How are you? Hi. Thank you for having me. Oh, my pleasure. Uh, what else can you tell us about yourself, Julie? Um, well, as far as coaching, I suppose um, I'm more of a process coach than a technical coach. Uh-huh. Um, I'm very interested in um, like psycho- psychobiology. I'm really interested in, in um, what's going on in the brain. Yeah, that's what it is. It's um, like social psychology and what's happening neurologically in your brain when when uh, various social situations are occurring. And I find that fascinating. So I've been studying that. Um, I'm also uh, have been exploring the relationship between improv, vocal improv specifically, and the coaching mindset um, where you're, you're doing an additive thing, right? If you're like singing spontaneously with other people, you need to be listening really deeply, just like you do when you're coaching. Uh-huh. You need to be really tuned in that you're not, imposing what you're doing over the top of the group, but rather um, adding and supporting the group right. um, with where they want to go and sort of sensing and responding, you know, so I'm, I'm finding that to be really interesting. I'm exploring that too. Yeah. I, I find that really interesting too. Um, I, I just taught a class yesterday and I was talking to another friend earlier this week and uh, the, this idea of listening and, and, and um, really, really, really listening it has been coming up a lot this week. So I'm, I'm, I'm glad you're mentioning that. Yeah. Well, my degree is in psychology, but that was a really long time ago. So I waited tables for years with my <laughs> psychology degree. <Okay. laughs> and and it's, it's, you know, since um, when I came to Capital One, I became a project manager, as uh-huh. most of us were. And uh, when we went agile whole hog, uh, they gave us lots of training and I just really took to it. I really... Right love it um the most and i'm having a blast nice now um uh let's see psychology i think a a lot of us who are doing this agile kind of work uh, agile coaching agile training um there's a lot of psychology involved in it Mm -hmm. maybe some of us don't know that or we're not really familiar with psychology uh what what can you say from your psychology background uh, that, that, that makes that such an interesting fit for being an Agile coach? I don't know if it's so much about my psychology background. I mean, I did psychology as a major because I found people to be very interesting. Okay. But Agile is, Agile is really all about people. It's not really about your technical problems. Or it can be solved by, by anybody, right? Like, it's, it's never, they say it's never a technical problem. 
Yeah. It's it's really about the human being doing the work and how complex we are and the relationship with one another. And and that's what makes it a real challenge. It's not whether or not you can set up a CICD pipeline, <laughs> right? It's, I mean, there's going to be impediments with that sort of thing too, but it's really about like managing your community and how are you going to interact with your stakeholders and right. help to see things in a different light. And that is all foundationally about social psych. Okay, cool. And, and individual psych too. Yeah. Uh, now, this podcast is about high performance teams. I'm, I'm curious mm-hmm. about you, your past, maybe your present. Um, is, there a, is there a best team that you can think of that you've been on in your life that comes to mind? And, you know, this could be any kind of team. It doesn't have to be a work team. Uh, really just any group of people yeah. that, that you can think of as the best one. And, and, and so... If you can think of one, what, what can you tell us about it? Well, I don't, I don't know that I would call it the best team, but it was certainly um, a team that um, felt great. Uh-huh. Uh, hard to choose, you know, like best is a superlative, and I've worked with a lot of terrific <laughs> teams, but there's one that really stands out for me. Um, and this is a team, it was a small team. Mm-hmm. Um, and the way that it got started was... Um, in the larger organization, there was a senior leader who felt that she was really passionate around um, creating a full stack feature team uh-huh. that could was focused on the delivery of the feature and not around a particular technology. It wasn't like the you know Android team or whatever. It was like right. you're going to be able to deliver anything that you need to. And they had the engineers self-select into that team based on some criteria um, that were, it was largely about skill set and not about job title. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and who was free to leave the work that they had in flight or without, you know, impeding its progress. And so we had this little experiment team. And although the composition of the team and far, as far as team members changed over time, um, a little bit, you know, when we're natural attrition or whatever, the feel of the team remained the same. And and I found that to be pretty interesting. They continued to be very high performing. They continued to have great dynamics. Um, they had great results. And and so I found this is probably a good example to explore and go down deeper and say, why? <laughs> All right. And I, and I do want to do exactly that. Um, before we get there, what was what did it feel like to be part of this team? Were you a member of this team? Is this a team you were coaching? Um, how, how close? Yeah, I was coaching. So I wasn't a yeah. performer on the team, but I yeah. was a part of the team. Okay. Um, what did it? What was the sensation? Uh, what, what did it feel like when you were working together with this group of people? If I had to choose one word, Richard, I think it would be proud. I felt proud, yeah. not of my accomplishment as it related to the team, but proud of the way that they worked together, proud of the accomplishments that they had. And it okay. just felt great. Nice. And so that, that sort of, of subjective sense of what that team was like, uh, do you have any mm-hmm. objective ways to describe the team, objective metrics for the team? Uh, maybe something that an independent third party could look at somebody, somebody else in the company could look at and say, this really was a, this really was a great team. Yeah. Um, I think it's a little harder to get some of that because a, it was a while ago, right? So I don't actually like have the data that I can pull up to remember. Um, but one of the things that they did um, was 
to choose to not start out with a, just one framework to be agile within. They weren't just like just Scrum or just Kanban. They okay. were organizing their work with a Scrum framework and they were using sprints and doing stand-ups and all that. But they were using a visual board, Kanban board to visualize their work and it was different from what was the tool electronically, the way that they managed their visual board, control over it. And they did set web limits and they did um, keep those to be pretty low and, and they... Um, stayed really focused on just one or two things maximum at a time. And they, and they, I, I may be jumping ahead a little bit, like if you're going to ask me about what did they do, but the output of that board is probably the metric that you'd be looking for and that they were actually moving work through the system really fast, really focused. Um, and the business was thrilled, even though we're a small team. And I think that we often think that we throw more people at it. We'll get more. Uh-huh. And it wasn't the case. And they kept going, why are you the only four people on this team? Why are you doing, doing so well? Um, and I'm like, well, maybe it's just because there's only four people to communicate with. Yeah. That's another thing I'm noticing as I talk to people. Um, when People's best teams seem to be fairly small, four people, five people, maybe, maybe six mm-hmm. at the most. Yeah, really productive. Uh-huh. All right. Uh, let's see. So what are, you've already mentioned a few of this team's practices. Uh, what what else can you say specifically that this team did that you think went into its its goodness? What, what are some of the specific behaviors or practices that this team had? Um, I think there was a mindset thing around this team. Uh, and it was it was less about whether they were pairing or whether they were using this or that tool, but that there was a feel in the team that they were free to experiment and be innovative and try things that didn't work, try something else. Uh-huh. Um, and, and they, they, I think there was an environment that allowed that to happen. And not that the rest of the environment wasn't conducive to that, but because they had been invited to self-select uh-huh. and given that autonomy and given that trust, um, to do it however they felt was the right way to do it. But that was, um, it was an explicit, right? They had specific trust that they were given. Um, we're doing an experiment and we want to see how it goes. So do whatever you want within this context. This is the goal at the end of it. They had both a mission and a vision. Okay. They knew what they were doing in the moment and they knew why and where they were trying to get in the long run. And within that context, they had a lot of safety and a lot of freedom to experiment with their processes and the tools that they were using. They were using all these, all these new cloud, you know, Dropspark and Chef and yeah. and all of the, and they were learning it. They were like, you know, some of them were quite new, very new, um, young engineers. And um, there was one guy in the team who was really experienced in one thing but not so much with the rest of it. But there wasn't an ego thing that was going on. And they really shared the knowledge that they were learning cumulatively together. They were either mobbing, which they did a lot. Um, they actually reconfigured their desks to be more conducive to more frequent mobbing because they recognized that they were getting stuff accomplished much faster. And they were learning more when they were doing it simultaneously than if they were doing it and so, and that's the kind of thing that teams who don't feel safe to um, explore those kinds of practices when they feel that they've got time constraints around them and they don't have time to innovate, we don't have time to have a retrospective, you know, to do continuous improvement. 
because you're going so fast all the time, right. um, then something like that seems like crazy talk, right? <laughs> but this team had the safety to play with that stuff, and they discovered that they really loved it and that it was really um, productive for them, and, and that felt good to them. And the stakeholders were happy, and so they did more innovation and trying new things. All right. Now, now, how did this all happen? How, who was it in the company that explicitly allowed this to happen? Who, who invited people to join this team? Who set up this safety? I don't know that this this well, probably around exactly. like probably like you know like I, I probably have to like talk around that a little bit. It was a senior leader in the division yeah. that we worked in, um, but the idea came from an open space. So I think it's an interesting question because you and I both have a lot of passion around open space technology. Yeah. And um, actually, I'm pretty sure that it's an open space that was facilitated by Dan Nethic. Uh-huh. Um, he came to the company and had a, it was a huge all-day-long event, and there was hundreds of people that came. And one of the topics for one of the sessions was around full-stack feature teams. Okay. and what that would look like. And this leader was in that conversation and she was really inspired by it and she was really excited by it and she wanted to try that out. Uh-huh. Um, and so she she had authorization to give that permission to the team. Got it. All right. So, so a, a lot of things going on that, that, that sort of came together for this team. You, you started with this this open space. You had leaders involved in the open space. Uh, the, the idea came spontaneously or organically from the people doing the work, as well as the leaders who were present there. Uh, this this mm-hmm. leader paid attention, and and she was authorized to to act on that and, and sort of let this happen to invite people to join this team to to build this this these imaginary but but real walls of safety around the team. Imaginary but real walls. I really like the way you say that. I think it's true. I think that um, it's common for us to stop too soon when we're trying to figure out why, right? And and we all know this. Like you have to go deeper. If you're finding yourself pointing the finger at a single person and going, "Oh, that guy put that thing into production and broke production," right? If anyone could have made that same mistake because there were no guardrails around it, then you're not going down far enough. You're not asking why enough. And I think a lot of times we look at people and say, well, it's these people. It's because these people, not the right group of people that we've got. We don't have enough people who are senior. We don't have the right structure or whatever. And and I think that people are motivated intrinsically to collaborate with each other, to find connection. We're driven as a species to connect with one another. But when we have environmental circumstances that make that feel unsafe, then we're much, much less likely to do that. And that our, our natural tendency, um, which we have as children, to explore, experiment, and to learn, um, which is our default nature, I think, is impeded by um, being driven as hard as we possibly can be driven all the time. We don't have the freedom to do that. Um, right. So when you look at a step up, the people will do those things if they're given permission to do that. I think that um, the behaviors that you talk about in the core protocols uh, are more likely to emerge safely if you have an environment that supports that. Nice. Nice. And it's, it's kind of what you're saying is it's, it's the behaviors that, that are sort of born into us or, or this, this is, this is the way we do it when we're children. But as adults, uh, sometimes these, these things are, uh, are, are disallowed because we, we think we have, uh, we think we have a, a crisis of time. We, we, time crunches. We're not allowed to, to do these things. 
Yeah, that's a good way of summarizing it. And I also think that sometimes that's a story that we tell ourselves that isn't necessarily true. Yeah. It's not like sometimes the environment actually is really, really supportive. You just don't believe it because you have an expectation that someone else has a view that you're just kind of telling yourself that story, as Brene Brown would say. Right. Uh, a couple, a couple other things you mentioned was that this is a this is a, a cross-functional project team. Uh, they were working on one or two things at a time as a team, and they did this thing called mobbing. I haven't mentioned mobbing mm-hmm. on this podcast yet. Can you briefly describe what that means? Um, so mob programming. Oh my goodness, am I qualified to talk about this? <laughs> I wasn't prepared. Um, I, I hope you do a good job, Woody. Um, <laughs> mob, pro- <laughs> mob programming is a process in which everybody is working together at the same time on the same problem. Uh-huh. Um, I think he says all the brilliant minds. And um, it started out in California at a little company. Um, a guy named Woody Zool um, was a product owner, I'm pretty sure, at the time. Um, and it just emerged spontaneously from a group of developers that decided that they wanted to refactor some code. And they just got a room and they all looked at it together and it was really good. And they kept doing it and they kept doing it. And then that became the way that they worked all of the time because they found that their quality was incredibly high okay. because all eyes were on it all the time. And they shared knowledge back and forth between each other. And um, when, you're, when you're focused on the same thing and you have a shared common goal with the other people in your group, it is automatically kind of bonding, right? Like right. you, you really um, are more likely to uh, use the behaviors where you're creating psychological safety and you're um, got each other's back. And, and I think some of the fear that people have around this idea of mob programming is um, someone's going to see me make a mistake. Right? Yeah. You don't want to be vulnerable in front of each other. Someone's going to see, they don't know how to write this test or I can't remember you know, the keyboard shortcut for whatever. And and that people have a lot of fear, especially very senior developers are often very resistant to this idea of not used to having someone look over their shoulder while they're working. And it is a very vulnerable thing to do. But what you find is that your fear is that people will like attack you if you are vulnerable. And that's not what happens. What actually happens is that people see your vulnerability and they appreciate that and they support you. Uh-huh. That tends to be self-perpetuating. The more you do it, the more you safe you feel safe, and the more you want to do it because you're learning and growing, and it's safe and it feels good. Nice. All right. So, so mobbing is this way of working together that that somehow one of its elements is that people become vulnerable. They feel safe to be vulnerable. Uh, through that safety, they end up learning together really fast and and getting the work done really well. Mm-hmm. It was probably much more concise way to say what I was trying to say. <laughs> this is my advantage. I do go on. I get to say things back. <laughs> so what I'm hearing you say. <laughs> yeah, sort of, sort of practicing uh, the the coaching, active listening, clean language. Right. <laughs> um, now. This is a great story about about this particular team, and and uh, and you've shared a lot of their particular practices that they that they that they used uh, to to achieve their success. What advice would you give our listeners for their work with their teams? So, I think the best advice 
I'm trying to think this is my, my hesitation is am I am I speaking to a specific group of listeners or my advice change if I was talking to a leader or a developer or a coach? Like uh-huh. and I and, and I think that it wouldn't. I think that um, fostering an environment where it's safe to fail and to learn and to grow and explore and to make mistakes, creating an environment where that is true and helping to um, work with stakeholders they understand um, to go slow to go fast, which isn't really intuitive, right? But the energy that you invest in in that um, it really pays off in creating an environment where people feel safe to, to learn and play. Nice. All right. Thanks. Uh, and for some reason, I've got this. Um, I think this is what, what people who run track say, uh, that their, their coaches sometimes tell them slow is smooth and smooth is fast. <laughs> Right. So, mm-hmm. so somehow if you, if you build this, I don't know, looseness is I think how athletes think about this looseness into your body, you end up being a lot faster than if you're just thinking about being fast all the time. Yeah, that's a really great analogy. I like that. Um, and, um, and I often think about the uh, um, too many cars in the freeway analogy. Yeah. Like if everyone is operating at 100% capacity all of the time, then no yeah. one's gone anywhere. Yeah, right. right. You've got a traffic jam. Yeah. You have to give yourself that freedom so that you can move forward faster. Nice. Is there anything else you'd like to add? I don't know. I feel like I spent a lot of time talking about the environment yeah. and how that allowed the people to, to um, be successful. But there were dynamics within the team that, because they were permissible, allowed them to um, be really productive together. And, and one of the things that they did was they did share knowledge. And, and when I'm working with the teams and I say, tell me about your best team that you've ever been on, they'll say things like that. Let's say we share, you know, you don't hoard knowledge, you share knowledge, you, you lift each other up right. rather than kind of like being each other for who's the best. Right. And, and that's something that they really did that was very noticeable is that um, they felt like a group that had a common goal and they all were invested in it together. Yep. Um, and it wasn't every man for himself. And really like coding in silos, they like really felt like a, like a bonded gelled team. And that shone through in, uh, in the interactions that they had with each other. All right. Awesome. If our listeners want to contact you or learn more, is there a way they can do that? Um, yes, I'm on LinkedIn, um, and it's Julie-Bright, B-R-I-G-H-T, and I'm happy to chat with you if you want to connect with me. All right. Awesome, Julie. Thank you so much, Julie, for being our guest today. I really appreciate it. Hi, friends. Thanks for listening. And remember, to support this podcast, sign up for my newsletter at kasparowski.com.